Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Powerful pregame message by Coach Al Arbor. Not, that wasn't actually live video. That was out of the movie Miracle, if you've seen that movie, about the um, 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team. That was the semifinal match as they were getting prepared to take on um, it was the Soviet Union then, U.S., USSR, and they, no one had ever beaten the Soviets in, in, in many, many years in, in international hockey play, and definitely not the Americans. They were in, this was before the time when professional hockey players were in the Olympics, and they went out and they ended up beating the Soviets 3-2 to two on there. But there's a beautiful line in there, great moments are born out of great opportunity. And we're getting towards the end of our Moses series. And last week we had set up the story of the Israelites and they were faced with this promise of getting this new country, the promise that they had been tracking with for generations upon generations. Kids grew up all believing they were to take hold of this promise and God had new land for them. And they left Egypt and they were on their way. And they said, let's go send some spies to look at what this land looks like, this promise that we're supposed to take a hold of. And they came back and they had laid their eyes on giants that were living in the land at the time. And as we went through the, as we went through the study last week, if you weren't with us, we found that those giants may have been anywhere from 10 to possibly 36 feet tall, offspring of, of humans and angels. And, and if you went in to see that, you go, maybe that's not a battle we want to take on. It might have felt like those guys in the room, nine times out of 10, you're going to lose that battle. But not tonight. Tonight, we're going to take the land. That's the message they needed to hear. Great moments are born out of great opportunity. There was 700,000 families of Jewish people ready to step into greatness, possibly 2 million of them there, but they had this decision to make. Weighing what they knew about who God was and how, they had, how God had been faithful all the times before, even in the face of great opposition, even in the face of maybe not giants, but in the face of Pharaoh, who was this giant, and this, this nation who was a giant nation compared to them of Egypt. And they had to weigh that with the voice of the popular opinion that said, we can't do this because there's giants there with 36-foot giants. It doesn't make sense for us to take them on. And popular opinion is a very powerful force in our lives. And that's what we want to take a look at this morning. What do we do when popular opinion or even voices that are important in in our lives start to push us away from what God is speaking to us and where God would have us go? Now, I was born in 1979. So I grew up in the the 80s and early 90s. Anybody in 80s and 90s kids, you're growing up with me? Okay, we got a few people. We had this wonderful thing that we had back in the day. We, we would wear cargo pants or we would wear like um, JC, uh, dockers or something like that. And, and if you wanted to be cool at the bottom of your pants, there was something that you had to do. Anybody remember what that was you had to do to the bottom of your pants? Yeah, you had to pin it. That's right. Yeah, a few people. You, you took it. Now, if you've never seen this before, I'm going to give you something, just an amazing demonstration this morning. You took it and you folded it as tight as you possibly could to your leg like this and you folded it over. And then the real cool kids would pin it, right, Suze? Yeah, they had the real... But then, then you, would, you would fold it up like this, and your socks, you just want a little bit of skin showing and socks up, up like that. 
And then you could fold it again if you really wanted to get it up there and show a little bit. And every day at school, we would walk. How about that? What do you think about that? That right there is how we would. And I'm going to leave it like that for the whole morning this morning, just to remind you what a silly force popular opinion and other people's opinions are in our life. For some reason, we decided that this was important. If you couldn't fold your pants, I remember it took me weeks to figure that out. My mom was down. I don't know where the pin is supposed to go. (laughs) that That doesn't look right, Rick. There's something wrong with your socks. And, and it, no, this was the look. You wanted sweat socks, a little bit of skin, and then fold it up. This is, this is right, right? Yeah, we had this. These, these guys know. <laughs> there are all kinds of things we do in our lives only because somebody else told us to do it. No other reason. Somebody else said, this is good. This is important. If you don't do this, it's not good for you. It's not for, for students. It's not cool. For adults, like it's not financially smart for us to do this. Or this is all the diets that people are on saying you shouldn't eat any bread at all. You should just eat as much meat and you put butter in your coffee. How many people are drinking bullet coffee? Just out of curiosity. Butter and yeah, a few of you guys are drinking. You're like bullet coffee. It's a, people, some, of you are, yeah, some of you are like, are you serious? You're putting butter in coffee? It's healthy now. Didn't you know about that? There's all kinds of things that we do only because somebody else told us it was important. And none of us want to go through life based on other people's opinions, but it's hard not to because other people's voices are so strong. And we want to finish the story that we started last week. Last week, we really focused on the voices of the 12 spies. There was two of them that said, we can do this. We can take on the 36-foot giants or the 20-foot giants or however big they were in, the, in, in that part of the land. And this time we want to take a look at the response of the crowd. So if you have your Bibles, go to Numbers 14, verses 1 through 4. You can always follow along in the Portico app, and it has the verses laid right in there. Or we support the U version with our app. So you can download the U version. It's the number one download all over, all over. Like I think it's the number one app downloaded, U version, the Bible app, uh, last year. So go on and take a look at it. And it's got all kinds of versions of the Bible. We'll be reading a lot out of the NIV this morning. But Numbers 14, verses 1 through 4, here's what it says. Then the whole, this is right after the, the spies had told them, hey, there's these giants living there. The whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt. Now that's a wonderful statement. <laughs> if only we could have died in Egypt. Or even died here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? They plotted amongst themselves. Let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Now, there are some crazy statements in the middle of that, that it would, they would have preferred to die than trust God. They would, they would prefer to have another leader who no one else had brought them out of Egypt. They had been enslaved for generations, but Moses brought them out, but they were tired of him at this point. So I wouldn't say that these 700 men exactly held together well when they were faced with adversity. And they were convinced by the words of 10 people that all of a sudden they had no hope. The God they had always trusted him, no way. We can't, we can't trust in that God anymore. Everything good that God had in store for a generation of people gets derailed on the backs of the words of a few people. Isn't it important to learn to distinguish solid advice and somebody telling you to fold your pant leg? (laughs) It's important to figure out which one 
we're hearing. So if you're taking notes, here's the, here's the first fill in the blank. Popular opinion, the voice of somebody else, is not always the best path forward for us. The age of social media has made this very interesting for all of us. Just because something sounds like a good idea and gains popularity, it doesn't mean that it's a good idea. Popular opinion is not always the best path forward for us. We're in this age, and we've talked about this on a few Sundays, about how bacon is in everything. Now, I just Googled bacon on everything. I want to show you some of the most amazing latest creations of bacon on everything. The first one is bacon gumballs. So those look like, remember the Red Hots? No, that's bacon gum. We've decided we should flavor our mouths so that as we go, we're chewing on bacon. Doesn't sound horrible, all right? What's what's, what's the next one? Bacon lip balm. Then if it's not enough to have it in your mouth, you have to have it on your your mouth all the time so then other people can smell the bacon as well maybe that's an attractive thing ladies you may want to try bacon lip balm then the men it brings brings the men around the bacon lip balm here's one here's my favorite one for peyton peyton we've got a new one for you bacon baby and you can have baby formula that tastes like what do you think you look very excited this morning she really is liking that she wants the baby the baby bacon Just because something sounds like a good idea, we should just put more bacon on everything. It's not necessarily a good idea. And popular opinion sways us all the time. Here's one that came up in, in, in Ontario the last couple of weeks. We know that protecting the rights of children is super important. We want to make sure that, all, that kids are, are protected, that kids have every right that they should have. Because there's all kinds of kids who have suffered at the hands of flawed Parents, And we need to introduce regulation and rule to make sure that we are protecting children's rights. But I don't know if you've been watching, Bill 89 was just amended, that's the, um, the uh, Child and Family Services Act, was amended that took away some rights from family, from parents, and gave them to kids to make sure, because we, we believe, hey, to protect kids and give kids rights is very important. Now, and parenting in this day and age has become all the more complicated because it's very normal for our kids, uh, even in, as they're going through school in grades two, three, four, five, to start to explore sexuality and explore gender. It's introduced into our Ontario curriculum. But the new bill just said, regardless of race, religion, heritage, children are now granted the right, and any child who feels, who feels that they are at the risk of emotional harm, not if, if they're determined, if the child feels they're at the risk of emotional harm, as determined by the child or by CAS, they can, that, those parents could be at risk for action. Now, time out. <laughs> Tolerance and child's rights don't sound like I thought they would. I thought, I thought it would be protective of, of, of everything. And I support a tolerant Christian world, worldview that is firm on truth, but would never expect a person who is outside of my faith to believe what I believe and live like I live. And I believe that we should show love to absolutely every person who is God's creation and make sure that everybody feels valued and loved and important and at the same time holding truth as it is as listed in the Bible for my life. But the voice of popular opinion leads us into this precarious situation where now who has, who has these rights and we've, how far do we swing? Einstein, let's go back. He, he had a very... Very interesting statement on this. What is right is not always popular, and what is popular is not always right. Proverbs said it this way, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. If we go back into the narrative of, of, the, of the Jewish spies, they came back from their mission, and they reported seeing massive people with weapons and with the ability to wipe out the Jewish armies. They really did. 
Right? If, you, if you go forward into the, into the story of David and Goliath, Goliath was just one soldier who was probably 10 to 12 feet tall or 10 to 15 feet tall. And as he's standing there, none of the Israeli army would fight against him. They were so terrified. They're like, I'm not going to take this guy on. So if you see an entire village like this, it would make sense. The popular opinion would be, don't go. It took two people to carry the fruit that, the, that fed these people on their shoulder. The popular opinion was going to be, don't go and fight. Numbers 13, 28. But the people who, this is what the spy said, but the people who live there are powerful. Their cities are fortified, very large. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. So Numbers 14, 1 and 2, we read this. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. More often than not, don't you find it's the less popular choice that has truth to it? It's, it's, it's the choice that goes against what seems to be normal and regular and what everybody would say just do. How many times are you at a meal and like, just have a second dessert, it'll be fine. This one's sugar-free and fat-free. Go ahead and have that one. You'll feel great, right? Just stay a little longer. You can, you can stay out a few more hours. You'll be fine. You'll be able to get up in the morning. Don't worry about that. Ever heard that one? What about this one? Just put it on credit. You can pay that off later. It would, the difficult choice that is founded in truth is often not the popular choice. There are all kinds of examples of how Jesus taught this, but let's look at Matthew 7 and 13. He said, enter through the narrow gate. Go through the small place, the small opening that fewer would go through. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through that one. And just like that video, we're saying great moments <laughs> begin with those great opportunities, and they are a result of making difficult choices, often against what popular opinion would say, against what common knowledge would say. And there's special circumstances around when we become negative in the popular opinion. And that's our second fill in the blank is that discouragement. When there's negativity in the popular opinion, it will eventually undermine our faith. Who are the realists in the room? You say, I'm a realist. I, I, I won't call you a pessimist. I'll say, who are the realists in the room? You say, yeah, I, I'm somebody that I like to evaluate and I like to make logical decisions. I was reading a study this week called The Power po- Positive power of negative thinking. Now, here you go, uh, pessimist or realist. Check this. It's by Adam Grant. Power, positive power of negative thinking. I can't get that one out. It turns out, and he describes them as defensive pessimists, have the ability to perform just as successfully as what he would call strategic optimists. We, We would think, you know, if you believe it, it'll come true. And if you don't believe it, then it won't come true. He dug a little bit deeper into that and said, although there's some validity to that, there is a positive power of negative thinking. If you're visualizing ways that it could go wrong and it's finding protective ways to act, then you're okay. If, if, if you're visualizing all the issues but still pushing yourself forward to positive action, then that's positive power of negative thinking. Optimists on the far extreme believe that everything can work out. They visualize themselves succeeding and they create an increase of hormones that allow them to achieve that as they normally wouldn't. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Pessimists don't have that benefit of, of, of having all these extra, uh, the, those extra added hormones and extra added thoughts and visualizations, but they will miss pitfalls that optimists may not have envisioned when they, were, when they weren't being the realists. If they can still convince themselves, here's what Adam Grant said, as long as they can still convince themselves to act. So optimism or pessimism 
can be a challenge in the, in the extreme. If you're way over here being optimistic and you just pretend you'll never have any struggles, well, that's just not the way it's going to be. You're going to have troubles. If you're way over here on the pessimistic side, the realistic side, and you're just frozen in place by looking at all the issues, then you're going to have struggles as well. What we want to be is, if you see the struggle, force yourself to act. If you want to believe that there's a pathway forward, and then you can act. That's where we want to get to. But pessimists, optimists risk a misstep and falling down and tripping because they haven't seen a challenge. You know what pessimists or realists risk? They risk not stepping out in faith as God has called them to be. Because they said, you know what, there's too many issues. I'm not going to step to where God's called me to be. And this is what happens in this story. Numbers 14 and 3. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better? They would rather go back as slaves. So they saw the challenge. They go, I would rather go back and be a slave than step out into the place where God has called me to step out. Now, it's a valid question here if we, if we do the study. Why would God drag two million people into the desert just to die the same way they would have died as though they were slaves in Egypt? And the answer is because he wasn't going to have them die. <laughs> but the pessimism brought them all the way down. They got discouraged and they lost sight of the faith that was supposed to propel them forward. If you ever have a question of God like that, God, why did you bring sickness into my life? God, it seems like you've forgotten me. Where, why did you leave me? If, if it's not in God's nature to do something, then that's probably not what he's doing. It's probably a negative view that you're having on your situation and on God. God, the spies said that there are people there that make us look like grasshoppers. And that was the country we were supposed to be in. Why did you bring us out into Egypt, out of Egypt to die in this desert? The question should be, God, what am I supposed to learn as you're bringing me through this challenge? God, how are you going to provide? Because it doesn't feel like it's going to work. But how are you going to, as long as you're being propelled forward through whatever challenge you face, now put yourself into those shoes. What challenge lays right in front of your face right now? You go, this is the thing where I feel like God has left me. This is the thing that I can't believe about God. What is that challenge? And is the thoughts you're having, are they holding you back saying, I'm, I just, I can't move forward? Or are the questions, God, what are you trying to teach me? Because I'm still going to go forward. Moses' last words before he died to Joshua. He's about to, he's about to make Joshua the leader of this nation of two million Jews. And Joshua, remember, was one of the 12 spies that actually believed and had faith. Moses still takes him aside, Deuteronomy 31.8, and said, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. He wants to tell Joshua, just whatever you do, never get discouraged, never get down, because discouragement and pessimism puts us at risk of missing out on our faith and not walking into the steps that God has for us. And regardless of what people are saying about our situation, regardless about maybe we even have an inherent tendency to be negative, God is still faithful. It doesn't, it, it's, it's not about me. I don't shape God. God is still faithful. God still goes before us. God will be who he said he will be, and he will do what he said he will do. And if we don't keep that mindset, we're at risk of walking away from our faith because we can say, Lord, I see what's around, and I'm ready to kind of walk away and I can't follow you anymore because it's just getting too difficult. That's where they are. That's where the Israelites end up. And it's a terrible loss on our part. But think how God views it. God had set himself up as the leader of Israel and by faith 
Christ, we, we allow in our lives, we allow Christ to rule in our hearts, minds, and decision when we become a Christ follower. And when we allow pessimism to take precedence over our faith, well, it's like an act of rebellion. It's saying, Lord, I'm allowing my situation to take precedence in my life. You don't have that authority anymore. And it's an act of rebellion. Numbers 14 and 4 said this. They said to each other, we should choose a new leader. They did it very practically. They're like, let's just get rid of Moses. Theirs was evident. Ours is a little more uh, nuanced where we just say, I'm not going to trust you anymore, God. I'm going to trust me. But it's an act of rebellion. They said, Moses, you become too faith-based. You become too optimistic. I can't believe anymore. Now it's time to listen to the realist. Let's give in to the discouragement. And this brings things to a new place. And our third fill in the blank is here that rebellion unleashes some pretty serious repercussions. If you have your Bibles open, look at Numbers 14 and 12. I think we have it on the screen here. That God is ready to send a plague and he's ready to start over with Moses and Caleb and Joshua. He's gonna say, I'm gonna get rid of everybody, actually. I'm gonna start, I'm tired of these people giving in to pessimism and, and, and not trusting me. And Moses pleads in the next few verses that that, that that would misrepresent God to the whole world as powerless. You brought your people out in Egypt and, and they died. So here's what happens. Here's the eventual solution that God comes to in verses 28 and 29. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. <laughs> Catch that. The very thing that, I, that God heard them say, in this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years or old or more, who was counted in the census of those 700,000 people, 700, people and who has grumbled against me. They complained and said, God, we should just die. It'd be better if we die. And God said, fine. You want to die? <laughs> That's a pretty serious repercussion. Talk about the power of the words that we speak. So out of those 2 million Jews, 700,000 of the adults needed to pass away before they would eventually go into the promised land. All this time we've been journeying, it's only been about a year. They're about to spend now 38 years waiting for that whole generation to die off because of the act of rebellion, of believing in their circumstance rather than having faith. The power of the words we speak is unbelievable. And Israel... Here's, here's the unbelievable thing to me, actually. Israel doesn't even do anything wrong in their actions. They don't even turn around to go back to Egypt. What is it? It's mind and, 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 it's mind and mouth. It's what they're saying and what they're believing. And that very act of saying negative things and complaining against God and turning of their hearts, and they have this horrible consequence. The common understanding was that God brought us out here to die, so God reacts, I actually wasn't going to do that, but okay, if you don't want to trust me, then you can... You can live out the power of your words. We need to watch how we talk. Gary Chapman, in if you know the five love languages, he characterizes that words are 20% of the way that we experience and express love. He's only got five ways that humans experience and express love. And words, hearing positive words, sharing them is 20% of that. There's this, um, there's this study that I went back and looked at, and I'm not going to say I 100% believe in this, and I can't, I, I think you should try this at home th- this week, all right? Or try this at home over the next month. Dr. Masaru Emoto, and if you've ever, you've, you've ever studied him, he had this water molecule experiment, and go on and research it. All he did was he put the words love and hate on on bottles of water. And Gabe, why don't you bring up that first picture? He put, he put negative words and he put positive. So he put love, no, go back. He put love, thank you, and I hate you. He left them on, on, the, uh, on the surface of the containers for 30 days. And then he did 
then he blew up um, the way that the way that the molecules looked, and they had abs- they had actually changed. They were different. They all started the same. It's the same water in the containers, just having words written on the outside. And you say that's dumb because that's a written word on a piece of paper that doesn't make any sense. That's what I said too. And then I went on and did a little bit more study, and they said. Water's living. We know, that we know that living things react to the world around them. And his thought was, does anybody speak to the... Okay, I won't ask you to raise your hand. Does, does anybody speak to their plants and, and, and lovingly say, oh, I love... Like, you're doing... Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, hands are going up. You're doing a great job. Like, yeah, you're just getting the sun. And people swear by the fact, if you talk kindly to your plants and, you, and you're positive around your plants, they grow... That's the principle he was taking, that living things react to positive living messages all around them. So all he did was put these words on, on the, and this is what he says, go, go to the next one. This was repeated by like seventh grade science students. They're like, we want to see what's happening. So they put the words, I hate you and I love you on jars of rice. Look at what's happening after day 27 in the I hate you jar. It's got this brown mold and, and stuff starting to eat all away. And in the I love you jar, I'm not going to eat that rice, but it looks a whole lot better better than the one that's in the other side. Like I said, I can't 100% say that I, I believe that that's going on. You try it for yourself for an experiment. There's a whole strain of people doing experiments that believe that the words are even that powerful. But what I see in scripture, what I see through studies with the love languages, I want to read for you one more quote. Words, this is by Dr. Haider Zahid. Words are singularly the most powerful force available to humanity. We can choose to use this force constructively with words of encouragement or destructively using words of despair. Words have energy and power with the ability to help, to heal, to hinder, to hurt, to harm, to humiliate, and to humble. How's that for alliteration? Help, heal, hinder, hurt, harm, humiliate, and humble. Caleb and Joshua, the two spies, hadn't even done anything right. All they had done was say, even though it's difficult, I believe God can do it. And I don't care what anyone else is saying. They spoke in faith. Last one is this. Faith engenders a spirit of optimism and trust. You can be a realist and be a Christ follower. As long as your perception of reality includes the ability to believe that a miraculous God regularly intercepts our lives and our challenges and carries us to victories that would never be possible apart from him. Whether you're an optimist or a pessimist, as long as you believe that God steps into your life and says, I will do things that you can't do. You have a part to play. We talked about that. But I will do things that only I can do, and I need you to be talking that way. I need you to believe that. I need you to encourage other people that way because that kind of faith brings optimism and trust in the collective. That's why why we get together for church. You can believe in Christ all on your own, but we get together and we have people sing songs and we sing songs. We have somebody speak a message and we pray for one another, not because we need it to believe, but because it helps us. It encourages us. It brings us, when we're in those deep, darker moments saying, I'm not sure, it pushes us forward. Numbers 14, 7, and 8, Caleb and Joshua said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. That's what they said. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he'll lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he'll give it to us. These men saw the same challenges the other 10 did, and they came back to the 700,000 families, the 2 million Israelites, and they spoke faith rather than speaking failure. And a person 
of true faith. They don't pretend that the challenge doesn't exist. They don't pretend that the giants weren't there, but they said, and if God's pleased with us and God wants us to go, he's going to give it to us. They talk about their faith rather than talking about the failure that's possible. We need to remember to speak the good things that God has done for us. We need to be speaking about the promises God has in store for us. Proverbs 18 and 21 says this, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. Those who love what? (laughs) Those who love either. It has the power of life and death. And those who love the tongue and speak the power of life will eat that fruit. And those who love the power of death, who love to speak the negative, will eat that fruit. Joshua and Caleb reaped a harvest of faith-filled words. These two men were the only ones who were over the age of 20 that actually, Moses, we're going to see, Moses didn't even go into the land and take the promise that God had been talking to him about. The only two that went in with those, with the, out, of the, out, out of those 700,000 were these two. Why? Because they spoke life. They believed in faith. They saw the challenge, but they moved forward. The 700,000, they reaped a harvest of fear-filled words, giving into the, the, the fear that was around them. You know, in church, many times we end with a song and we're going to do so again today. I'm going <laughs> to ask our team if they, would, if they would come up. And the reason why we do it is because it's a pre-scripted way to give voice to faith-filled words. And I know, I know many of your stories and I know many of us here today, there is something on our hearts, there is something in our lives that we struggle with right now that, that we're saying, I can't get past this. This is a, a big giant issue in my life. And if I was real about it this morning, I have doubts that God can do it or God is going to do it because it seems to be coming back and back and back and back. And this morning, we want to take a moment and encourage one another and and act upon that that last fill in the blank that said, faith engenders this feeling of optimism and trust. And we're going to sing a song of faith that just says, I know the one who's going before me. And that's our God who has the power to do immeasurably more than we're able to do. And I know what's behind me. I know he stands behind me and protects when things are coming. And it doesn't mean we'll never face challenge. And it doesn't mean that God takes it away today. But what it does mean is we believe that there's something more for us. And there's too many negative voices in our lives that say, hey, it isn't going to work out. (laughs) Hey, it isn't going to happen. And we need to take some time this morning and just say, it is going to happen. God is able. I know the spirit of God that's resident within me, that's around me, that I can step into an area where I can have victory over anything that I face. So this morning, I'm going to ask us all just to stand. And whether you, whether you're used to singing songs in church, whether you feel like you have a you have a faith or whether you don't this is an opportunity to say i'm going to trust in something beyond myself i'm i'm recognizing that i can't god i can't do this battle on my own i'm going to work my tail off i'm going to do everything that i know to be true i can do everything that i know to be right and then i'm going to speak life and faith into it and say as i'm doing it lord now you come and do what only you can do And this morning, the way that we're going to do that is by singing this song. 
So follow along the words onto the screen, and we're going to be praying as we're singing. And we believe this morning that as we get to a moment like this, that people who walked in in the midst of a struggle can walk out in a new place of victory. That's the power of the God that we serve. That as we make ourselves available and we say we're going to be faithful, he steps in. So it isn't all about us. We do, we do nothing. We make ourselves available and we say we're going to do it. And then God steps in and we believe that people are going to step out and have in a place of victory as we have this time to speak that and speak those words of life to God. Go ahead and lead us, Heather. Jesus, thank you for that reminder that you go before us, you go behind us, you are with us whatever we go through. And in the times when we're unsure, in the times when there's uncertainty or when we feel pessimistic and just negative, God, I pray that you would change our mindsets to reflect how you think about us and and how you think about our situations. Remind us that we can do it, that we can walk forward in you with your help. And just thank you that we have you to lean on. We pray this all in your name. Amen.